Welcome back to the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast. My name is Eric, and I've got a great conversation to share with you today. I spoke with veteran trader and author David Janello to talk about his new book, The Nuclear Option, Trading to Win with Options Momentum Strategies. It's a very cool title and a very cool book. It's a great read. It focuses on actual strategies, so it's, you're not going to get caught up with some of these other option books that it's all theoretical. These are actual strategies that you can look to implement and, and some historical examples too, some really, uh, really cool real world examples. You can grab a copy of the book over on Amazon. Again, the title is The Nuclear Option Trading to Win with Options Momentum Strategies with David Janello. And if you'd like to connect with David after the episode, head on over to his Substack at nuclearoption.trading. That's nuclearoption.trading. Now let's get into my conversation with David Janello. All right, we got David Janello on. Thanks for coming on to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Great, great. So I'm really enjoying your book. I've been skipping around, honestly, in it um, and going back and rereading something, uh, some parts, uh, but the book, The Nuclear Option, and we're going to get to the book in just a minute. But um, before, can you just give us a little bit about your background and a little bit about yourself and maybe as it pertains to the finance industry? Yes, I've been trading since 1974. I began buying in the very big bear market that uh, that hit from 73 to 74, then started trading options in the early 1980s and moved to Chicago in the 90s. And I worked on some of the very early high frequency trading projects at a firm called SX Redez. And then in 2000, I started a company called Spread Hunter, which I still work at today, which is a uh, trading platform. I wrote the book, The Nuclear Option, based on the experiences of some of our Spread Hunter customers. Wow, so you've been uh, you've been in, in the game for a long time. It's great. It's it's great. Never a dull moment. Yeah, I it's bet. It's a short time because things go obsolete so quickly. Yeah, yeah. So being that you're kind of on the technology side as well, what are your thoughts about seeing the industry change over time? From you know uh, the decimalization, everything used to be in fractions, and the the kind of explosion of options. What's your take on the? Well, the, uh, you you've had an enormous. Uh, benefit toward large amounts of capital. So back in the day on the floor, the reason the floor could work was you had pools of capital and people could communicate to the guy next to him or the guy in the next pit, and they could digest large chunks of inventory. And when the floor goes away, you have to have enormous amounts of capital to support the, uh, the, the inventory that's coming in. And in the current model, the electronic model, it's a hub and spoke model where you've got the, the market makers on one side and then the orders coming in on the other side. And the market makers don't have side to side communication to the mm. extent that they did on the floor, which is why the trading floors are starting to come back, especially for more complex orders like option spreads that are difficult to analyze electronically. So it's, it's well, been it's been interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know I've I've been trading maybe probably 15 years or so. And I, so I started with thinkorswim. And mm -hmm. so I kind of feel like I started with, with pretty good technology. Um, but as I've studied and, and read and talked to industry veterans like yourself, I'm, I just can't imagine. Um, I, I guess it just wasn't retail traders weren't doing stuff like this these days, right? There's a lot more retail involvement. A lot more retail involvement now than it was in the past especially with a very large dollar stock, stocks above $100, it becomes difficult for a retail trader to, to buy the 100 shares. So the options are, are much less right. and they have more leverage and they have the asymmetrical quality, 
which makes them ideal for for both speculation and longer term investment. Yeah, and that's something that's that you kind of talk about in the book. Maybe not that reasoning, but um, really talking about getting stock traders into options. And by the way, I love the title of the book. It's called "The Nuclear Option: Trading to Win with Option Momentum Strategies." And I have it on Kindle. So if, uh, for the listeners, you want to pick up the book, you can get a digital copy. Um, it's it's a great read, by the way, too. It's not as mathematical or textbooky as as uh, a lot of the option books tend to be. So tell us a little bit, you know, maybe why you wrote the book and, and who is it geared towards? Well, we started uh, our, our my, my firm at Spread Hunter. We trade a lot of volatility trades and there have been some volatility droughts you know, over the last couple of years. So with my team, we, we started looking at more directional strategies, which are not found in most options books. They won't talk about how to how to speculate or how to invest directionally. Right. It's all about covered calls, earning income, or it's about the Greeks, or it's right. about things unrelated to the trading, to momentum-based trading. So we wanted to, when we did that, we wanted to bring to it some of the analytical rigor that we use on the theoretical side, but at the same time, you know, we, we don't want it to be like technical analysis, but we want it to be where people can really understand it and understand what the math is doing. Yeah, The math yeah. is there, but we, we break it down so that people and God forbid computers can understand it. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I definitely like the fact that there's a focus on actual trading. And like you said, not necessarily all the math behind it. Although you do talk about um, in one section, you know, buying debit spreads and some risk rewards. So you're talking about basically how to implement some of these strategies in certain uh, situations. And one of the things that I think really resonated with me, and if you'll give me a second, I'm going to bring it up. I have the book up. I, I want to make sure I get this right. It's towards the beginning of the book. And I'm just going to read you this, these couple of sentences. And this really kind of totally you know, resonated with me. It says, it is a popular misconception that winning options traders are successful because they are mathematical geniuses or better traders or God forbid, super traders. The truth is successful option traders are without exception, far more conservative and risk averse than almost all other professional speculators and investors. Paranoia, this is the one that got me. Paranoia is perhaps the single biggest success factor in options trading. Frugality and penny pinching are, are um, a close second. And th this really just kind of, like I said, really hit home because, you know, the longer I've done this, it's like you really don't know what's going to happen after you put that trade on. And so really managing the risk and understanding what you're doing and, 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 you know, the situation you're in or the trading situation, I think was really, um, really hit home with me. Yes. That's the, uh, a third would be tunnel vision is the third. So you've got the paranoia is very important and mm. then your penny pinching and frugality and also the tunnel vision. So you're tuning out what's not necessary and tuning in what, what is necessary. Right. So, and it's it's not managing complexity; it's eliminating complexity. Yeah, I like that. Well, I was going to get to the, you know asking you about helping maybe people who trade stocks sort of transition into trading options. So, is there any recommendation about the number of tickers you should be watching, or like should people focus on maybe a certain strategy, like? you know, using debit spreads or calls for stock replacement? Like, where do you, 
where do you sort of see people or, or try to help people transition to first when it comes from stocks to options? When it comes from stock to options, again, you mentioned earlier, how has the market changed? And with the decline in uh, volatility premium, where the volatilities are coming in, the option prices are getting squashed much, much smaller than they were in the old days. The, in the old days, you would be biased from the short side to capture that edge. So you'd be selling premium, uh, credit spreads, short puts, short calls in very rare cases. So now with the, again, the very big players crushing the risk premium out because they've got so much capital, the the bias has shifted more toward long options and it's its cousin long call verticals. So right. you've got the long long options, long call verticals for the long side, long, you know, um, the long put options and long put verticals on the short side. So by eliminating everything else, you don't need to look at the Greeks. You're not looking at covered rights. You're not looking at conversion reversals. You're looking only at these strategies. This will give you a very, a very powerful toolkit to take advantage of mispricings that you perceive in the markets. Gotcha. I think the the concept of leverage is hard for initially for people to understand. Um, even even when you're trading uh, spreads, because you know you can you can risk you know if you buy a debit spread and you you have your max loss is the debit that you paid, you might be able to lose that whole thing if your trade goes wrong. So, how do you think about factoring in the leverage part uh, to your portfolio or or for a stock trader who's used to saying buying a hundred shares and they're gonna Instead of them saying, "Hey, okay, I'm going to put a five percent stop on this trade," but they're ha- they have a hundred shares, it doesn't quite quite translate to like a debit spread or something. So, what? How do you um, uh, explain or help people understand that that factor of of leverage? Well, leverage in options is profoundly different from leverage in margin stock and leverage in futures. So, leverage in futures and stock on margin is completely symmetrical. So you put on two to one leverage, you make twice as much or lose twice as much. In options, you've got the asymmetrical leverage. So you might be able to make, um, my my record is 47X in 10 minutes Mm. on a spread that I bought for one cent and sold it for 47 cents later. And so you've got this asymmetrical where I can only lose the one cent, but I could make, you know, in my max, my max profit here on one of those spreads was 47 cents. So pay $1, get $47 back. Right. And so you have this asymmetrical, you can only lose a little, make a lot. Now, the danger of that, the downside is that you can lose money if the stock stays flat or if the stock goes up only a little bit. So stock traders not only have to get a, get over the, uh, the, the leverage risk that, yeah, you can make more than what you put in, but also that the it's asymmetrical. And we all need to, stock traders, option traders, work to make the asymmetry work in your favor instead of against you. Yeah. that And that's, you know, I think that's what ultim- ultimately everyone's attracted to. I know I was when I when I first started with options um, was I actually got into credit spreads pretty quick because I, I went to um, back in the day, Thinkorswim had a an, uh, educational arm called Invest Tools, and they really kind of pounded in spreads. Uh, as they were um, not lower risk necessarily, but 
the defined risk, I guess is the better term there. But, um, but I think that's the, what, what initially gets people into options is the fact that you can make uh, a lot of money with a little bit of money. And like you said, you know, you can buy something for, you know, 10 bucks or a dollar and try to have it go to $50. So there's a lot of um, speculative sort of mindset that comes in. And, and you're right. If you, if you are going to speculate with out of the money, long options or, or some kind of position like that, where if, if it's flat, you lose, then you do need to have some kind of analysis. And I know your book talks about momentum. Um, what are some maybe characteristics of momentum that you look for in your trading to kind of get directionally long or short? Well, the traditional view of momentum is inextricably, inextricably tied to trend following. And if you look back in the 70s and 80s, you had like the turtle traders and you had Richard Dennis. Right. And they made yeah. a lot of money following trends and they ran the inflation boom all the way to the very end. And some of them ran it a little bit too long, like the Hunt brothers. So they were they had the wind to their back. They've got this enormous inflationary trend throughout the 70s, uh, which we all saw at the time. And. So they were following that, and it was a. Uh, it certainly wasn't a straight line. So you had to be a very good risk manager, very good trader, uh, to to manage your capital, and not get wiped out in the downdrafts. But through successful risk management, you could be a successful trend trader, you know, up to about 1983 or so. And then now with the high frequency trading, the markets are far more fragmented. And I'm sure you and many of your listeners have have tried using trend trend-related tools in the markets and often wonder why why did this tool that used to work no longer work or why did this one that you know worked for somebody else does it not work for me it's because the markets are fragmented they're uh fractured you've got algorithms coming on i knew one futures trader who'd been trading for you know for decades the same strategy and it was when you know it was a he just didn't do it on Monday and Friday when they had the options expirations and he did it intra week and the intra week expirations did in his strategy. Mm -hmm. So by introducing the, the options expirations on the SPX in the middle of the week and the weeklies, he used to back when we had monthlies, he was running it, you know, we just avoid the expiration days when they started increasing the expiration, every expiration day they put in eliminated the strategy on that day. So now that strategy is no longer viable. Right. So we're looking at what's left now is that we have we we certainly have movement in stocks. If you look at, you know, like energy right now, energy is up, but it certainly wasn't a straight line. And we have very strange. Um, and on the nuclear option blog, the latest blog post, we look at, you know, most people who are familiar with technical analysis. They're looking at all these characteristic shapes, which look just like random walks. And they're making sense out of that. And. We're now seeing things that like square waves, like if you're an electrical engineer, we've mm -hmm. never seen a square wave in markets where it's at one level, drops to another, then goes back up. Right. So my last uh, nuclearoption.trading post, which you can subscribe to, it's free at nuclearoption.trading. We're looking at square waves. So, but there can be movement. There is movement. And we have to like look at what's going on in terms of the market dynamics and how do we capture that? What is the intersection between that and what the market is offering us? And if the market's prices are bad, then we take a break. We take a hike and do nothing. 
Right. And one of the, the success factors, the key success factors of a momentum trader is doing nothing. And sometimes nothing for days, weeks, or even months. Interesting. Yeah. Patience and knowing your what you're looking for is definitely um definitely helpful. And I think that that's one of the things I know, you know, you mentioned the additional SPX expirations, which a lot of my um followers trade uh with me. And one of the things is, is yeah, you may not just because there's five expirations per week, doesn't mean you should really trade every day. Right. It's like it's there, but you still need to have your, um, whatever pattern or analysis you're using. Um, so it's, it's very tempting because you see these swings and it's like, you, you want to try to, um, hop into one and be able to catch that, that asymmetric reward from time to time. But it's, it's, it can be tricky. For sure. It is it is very tricky. And I have certainly on the zero days to expiration, that's a different beast than the momentum trading that we're looking at here. Yeah. And zero days, things that don't work on the longer time frame might work very well on a zero days to expiration, such as long butterflies. Right. Or or your uh your iron butterflies, but you're you're they have the same risk reward profile. So, so those things often will make sense, but they, they do not make sense if you're looking at the kind of things in the book. Where we're looking at the uh you know couple of days to a couple of weeks to a couple of months right it's between really like three days to six months is the time frame yeah i think it's great that your 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 book covers some of that market situations and one of the parts i like is i think it's the last chapter or so it's it's um real world trading examples and one of the and i've, I've heard of different variations of this but i thought i just wanted to bring it up one of the um, sections that has to do with Nassim Taleb's uh, Thanksgiving Day turkey trade uh, with the idea that um, you know everything can look good and then all of a sudden you get completely wiped out. Can you tell us a little bit about just that section in the book and maybe um, the, that concept of the turkey trade? Yes. The, uh, Taleb was talking about your classic derivatives wipeouts of the 1990s and early 2000s. So this would be Barings Bank and Enron and long-term capital management. And the key trade that doomed all of them was that they were short, uh, short, very, very high probability premium, like uh, usually short straddles is what, what, what did them in. And so what happens if you're doing this as a, as a portfolio manager and you're showing it to an equity person, oh, my sharp ratio is fantastic. I made this much money with the, the standard deviation of the portfolio is nil because the straddle is not going anywhere because, you know, because it's neutral as long as the stocks your 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 underlying stays in a narrow band, you're going to look like a genius. It's when things move all of a sudden you can lose on on one side or both. And the actually long term capital management's a great example. They had the short VIX uh, two two point one billion dollars worth of short uh, short VIX straddles, which went five years out. So they would have expired in two thousand two. Which meant they would have, they would have had plenty of time on the you know on the on the calendar to be there for the nine one one attacks, which you're looking at a thousand x bigger damage than what did the man in ninety seven. Hmm. So Enron, same thing. It was a, a legal structure that was, for all intents and purposes, short put on the stock. They guaranteed the stock below a certain price. Then when it dropped below the price, then it you know they went to a death spiral. So, so that's the classic one. Everything's fine. Everything's looking great. Enron's on the cover of Fortune. They're, you know, the uh, 108 
they're, they're in the uh, for, Fortune 100, 108 billion in revenue, and all of a sudden the next day they're gone. The, the Enron lasted about a month, so they, they were one of the longer, longer cases. So that's the case where you're going along short premium. If you want to sell straddles, you want to sell naked calls or naked puts, the this this is the way to go. So Taleb's talking about that, and he's just saying don't do it. Right. My attitude is that here you've got something that makes money for a while, but you know you're going to get wiped out in the long run. What do you do? So the I was talking to, um, because this is true about the, the short VIX instruments like the XIV, which got delisted, and then the UVXY and all these other negative VIX instruments. And I talked to, share, uh, to, to a uh, market maker uh, named Terry, at, who's now retired. And he was saying how he how he captured it. And this is a very important concept for the readers. When you've got these very, very high risk things, what you do is you, you do them in tiny quantity and it more importantly, do not compound the returns. So you're setting aside the money. So he, he would sell in constant size, you know, the same amount of premium, which is tiny compared to his entire firm size. And then it would build up and then over time, you've got enough cushion to take the take the hit if and when it comes. And Terry retired, and he missed the uh, the VIX explosion in February 2018. So uh, otherwise, he would have he would have had to put up a lot of you know dig into his capital that he you know built up over several years. So so we want to look at ways. That's the most important way. We want to find these these Thanksgiving turkey trades, and we want to manage them so that we're not going to wipe out our accounts. So we're going to be using credit spreads or debit spreads, probably credit spreads in these cases, and mm-hmm. then doing them for, you know, doing them in fixed size without compounding it so that it can wipe out all of your returns and then some when when things inevitably reverse. So the other examples would be that the short premium is a good one. The uh, short squeeze when the things just explode because of short covering and you know it's going to collapse down. Uh, the vol spikes we used to get a lot more frequently when the, when the VIX just explodes and you know the VIX will revert, but you don't know when. And these are all things you you, you want to take advantage of that that you know will become the turkey. But what do you do to make some money in the interim and not get wiped out when you know when the inevitable hatchet falls? Yeah, one of the examples you put in the book. The additional thing you added was the don't uh, do not compound, and um, I I think it was part of the turkey trade but it's like if there's something going up you know on some sort of momentum um you know like like a amc or one of these things you know you can play that with debit spreads and what you were saying in the book was if you buy an at the money spread you know if it was spx or whatever if it's five wide and you're paying 250 then you're you have a one-to-one risk reward so the idea is that if you if you're right and the trend continues in this case maybe it's going up you're buying a call spread then you'll basically make a hundred percent gain. And at some point you're going to have a hundred percent loss. So by not compounding, that means your loss would stay the same as your winners. And, and cause you, because you know, like, like um, not really the Turkey doesn't know in, in the real world, but if the Turkey do, does know why he's being fed and his life is perfect. Um, but he knows that someday he's going to get blown up or eaten. He doesn't know. So you want to keep that risk in check to know that you don't you don't want to wipe out the other winners. So if you can get two, three, four, five, six winners in a row of 100% gain, that last one 
that does blow up, then you're done and you're kind of done with that strategy. Is that, is that kind of the, the that's exactly, there? exactly what we're talking about. And the, there are a couple of examples in there, like with Tesla, when I was doing a dollar 25 verticals expiring in a week when in the middle of the short squeeze, right. And then typically make two, two or three in a row, four in a row, then all of a sudden you lose everything. So right. that way you want to make sure, and you want to make sure that if you lose it in the first week, that it's not going to, uh, you know, you know, you'll have like a bad day as opposed to, you know, getting wiped out. Yeah. And, and, you know, in that, in those type of scenarios too, it's, it's not just the compounding. It's also the, I don't want to say greed, but just the sizing up, you definitely don't want to size up because you, you know, it's going to end. Like you just know things don't go up forever. Now, could it go up for six more months? Like, yeah. So you do want to, you know, participate, but you know, don't, don't size up and, and think you're geni- genius, right? Cause everyone, everyone's a genius in a bull market, you know? Um, yes. And the, the big, the biggest loss for most people, yours truly included is prematurely increasing the position size. And right. with, with the short shelf life of things that work these days, it, it's, it's very easy to get excited and let's grab the money while it's still there. And then, increase the size and wipe out everything you've, you've gotten before. So it would be being more conservative, increasing the position size on winners as they, they become more, you get more and more solidified is a good thing just to watch out for. Right. Well, man, you did a great job on this book and I definitely recommend my listeners pick it up again. It's called the nuclear option by David Janello. I'm going to put a link um, to Amazon and, uh, and all of your links too, but what's the best way Where's the best way to people for people to contact you or, or maybe connect with you online? Where would you send them? Certainly through the uh, Substack is a great online platform. And the, you can sign up for my Substack at nuclearoption.trading. So you go okay. to www or HTTPS colon slash slash nuclearoption.trading. And that will take you to the Substack signup page. And it will say, you know, pledge your support. You pledge zero. You get it for free. And then you can send private messages and then more importantly, share your questions with the other members of the Substack community, Mm. because it's not just me, it's everybody else who's there. And we have a lot of former floor traders, a lot of former market makers, a lot of young quants. So you'll you'll get some very interesting perspectives. Yeah. I'm going to head over there uh, after we get off this uh, recording for sure. But uh, thanks a lot for coming on the show. I hope everyone picks up the book and uh, I hope to talk to you soon. Hey, thank you, Eric. And congrats on your platform. It's, it appears to be uh, very successful, very informative. And I'll be back there posting like I have in the past. All right. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. 